Well, good morning, church. Hadn't it been a great morning so far? Sharon and Caleb's baptism, and uh, I think it's, it's always a reminder on mornings like this where we have a baptism of the commitments we've made, right? Uh, just like when you go to a wedding. If, you, if you're married, you, you go back to those vows that you stated, and, and this is one of those mornings I found myself recommitting myself, uh, and I'm grateful for, for Caleb, for their family, for all that played a role in that journey of faith uh, for all of our kids right now. It's a great blessing. Well, for the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been in the middle of a conversation about waiting. Uh, and, uh, and I know that we all find ourselves in different places when it comes uh, to waiting in our lives. What I've found in my own life is that I find myself waiting more often than I find myself enjoying the thing I've been waiting for. Because life is this series of events and that, we, that we wait on. And so I don't know what I'm speaking into fully. I've, I've heard from some, some small group leaders about conversations that have been real deep and, and meaningful over the past few weeks. I'm grateful for enga- you engaging those. And if you're not in a connecting point group, let me encourage you this next year to make that a commitment. Uh, we've got lots of groups that Keith Maloney or our website, you can find contact places to get involved. It's where the conversation continues after the message each week. And so we encourage you to check that out. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the story of Joseph, uh, Old Testament Joseph. And we talked about how Joseph spent a lot of his time in waiting, in slavery, in prison, and God changed him during that waiting period. God used that time of waiting and difficulty to uh, move Joseph toward a position of forgiveness for his brothers rather than revenge. And then we talked last week about Noah, that sometimes we wait and what God calls us to do is to build a boat. He calls us to get hammer and nails to get to work because God wants to work with us in his mission in the world. But this morning I want to speak to a little bit of a different situation. So if the last two weeks haven't spoken to your waiting, perhaps uh, this one will. I want to uh, talk this morning uh, about another Old Testament character. Um, but before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit of how we're going to get there this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about five things that are on my, my list to talk about this morning. Amazon same-day delivery, La Sagrada Familia, the Exodus, the verse my mom should have never prayed over me, and then planting trees. And the importance of that. So we'll get to each of those five, but let's begin with a prayer uh, as we start. Father, this morning we, we invite you into this space and we say, as we've sung a moment ago, blessed be your name. Uh, in the waiting, God, we, uh, we proclaim that you're there in that waiting, that you, you're still to be blessed no matter the outcome. And so God, this morning we surrender outcomes again. And that's hard to do because there are things we desire and desperately need and want in our lives and and yet we trust your will, God, in this timing and in this place. So God, would you uh, bring, your, bring forth your word? God, whatever I speak today that's of you, would you, would you cause those things to stick, God, and, and cause those things to, to bring fruit? And those things, God, that I speak that may not be uh, your truth, would you let them fall away not to be remembered this morning? It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you deli- uh, have ordered something or found something delivered on your front doorstep just this holiday season from Amazon same-day delivery? Surely we've got some out there, right? This is amazing. 29 cities in the United States where if you order before noon on Amazon, it'll show up on your doorstep before you go to bed that night, depending on when you go to bed, I guess. 29 cities. We just happen to live in one of those cities. Dallas-Fort Worth is one of those areas. where. Now, I've been thinking about this week about you know, my great-great-grandparents. I never got to know them, but I'm trying to imagine a conversation I would have with you know, Popsy and Mimsy or whatever you called your great-great-grandparents, right? How would you describe to them the phenomenon of Amazon same-day delivery, right? Well, first you pull out your cell phone. Well, 
that, that's the starting place. What in the world's a cell phone, right? We're talking about phone on the wall if we were lucky back then, right? But you go to your app, and then you go to Amazon.com. Okay, what, what's this Amazon.com? What in the world is that, right? It's a whole process to try to figure out how to explain this. But even beyond that, to think that any item, right, a book, uh, a microwave, uh, you know, a, a, a bobblehead, anything you want, you can order online, and it'll show up on your doorstep later that day. It's amazing the time that we live in. There's great benefits to living in a world with things that can be delivered that quickly. We live in an amazing time, but I'll tell you, there are drawbacks to living in a society where you can get anything you want within 12 hours. There's things we forget that sometimes the most important things in our lives, the most powerful, the most meaningful things in our lives cannot be delivered in 12 hours. It takes waiting sometimes. Some of the most incredible things have been built in our society, our culture, that we go and visit uh, to see on on vacations. These are things that took time to build. But we live in this instant gratification culture that if you want it, you can find it instantly. I mean, my phone offers me access to a billion different things. If I wanted to look it up right now, I could, I could buy a plane ticket if I wanted to right here. I won't you know, waste your time doing that. But you, you get the idea. I, I can buy music. I can buy a movie. I can look up a picture of you know, the Sydney Opera House. I can I'm playing Trivial Pursuit. If, I, if you don't see my phone, I can answer any and every question in 10.5 seconds as long as the Wi-Fi is good. And that's amazing if you think about it, right? I mean, I remember the, probably the last year that encyclopedias were actually even sold. We got one when I was in high school. And now that's just, I mean, what's the purpose of an Encyclopedia Britannica, right? You've got all that information at your fingertips. But like I said, the benefits don't come without drawbacks. Because uh, I, I was looking up this week uh, about our, our instant culture, how we just have everything at our fingertips. It happens in an instant. We, we can order and go into Starbucks and pick up our drink without even having to you know, swipe our credit card or anything. I was looking at, at some stats about that, and, and I was looking up how long people are willing to wait for a video to load on their phone, right? You've had that death wheel that spins sometimes when it doesn't load properly or fast enough. The wait time we're willing to do on average for that is two seconds for a video to load. Two seconds. And to think our kids aren't going to be formed by this in some ways, to think we're not being formed by this in some ways, I think is pretty naive. We lose patience for things that take longer than eight seconds. And believe it or not, some of the most meaningful things in our lives take more than eight seconds to build, right? So a few years ago, Holly and I were in Barcelona, Spain, and we we asked people where we should go on our one day that we were there, and they they said, you've got to go see La Sagrada Familia. So we didn't know what that meant because we were, you know, Anglos, right? We don't know Spanish. But it's this church building that's in Barcelona that's been being built since the 1880s. The architect was a Spaniard, a guy named Anthony Gaudi. He was a famous architect in Spain. He built all these great things. But his life's work, his greatest achievement was a dream to build a cathedral that would be built in the heart of Barcelona. And so the, the construction began in 1882, and it's 70% complete uh, this year. They're hoping in 10 more years, uh, by 2026, to complete this project. In fact, take a look at this project right now. They have, there's a video here to show you what still needs to be done. It's an amazing thing.
you know, Gaudi did not live in an instant gratification culture. He, he planned this knowing that this wouldn't happen in his lifetime, that his kids probably wouldn't even see the ribbon-cutting ceremony for this church. So plan your trip in 10 years. You'll get to see this open for the first time. Now, I, I was just thinking about this and thinking, you know, I can't imagine. It's supposed to open actually 100 years after Gaudi's death. I can't imagine planning something that far ahead that would have an impact for future generations. I, I don't think a millennial could actually build something like this, right? Because we think about, we want to see the impact. We want to see, we want to gain credit in some way for the way things turn out. We want to build things that will make a difference now. But most of the things that stand the test of time aren't accomplished as quickly as we want them to be. I like the way Matthew Kelly puts this in his book, The Long View. He writes, most people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a month. We overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. Isn't that true? Like if it can't be done quickly, we don't think it's worth doing, but some of the most meaningful things in our lives are built over time. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Rome wasn't built in a day, and I don't believe the kingdom of God is either. As we discovered over the last couple of weeks, God's people have known waiting. We're not the first ones to experience times of waiting. And as we experience all of this waiting, it brings me back to a story from the Old Testament that's probably the central story for the people of God. It's the Exodus story. And if you know anything about the Exodus and what got them there, it was actually Joseph, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that gets them to Egypt in the land of Goshen. And over a few years, the king forgets who Joseph was, that he was second in command and had saved all of Egypt. And so down the road, there's another king who finds that these Israelites, the people of God, are growing too numerous. And so he puts them to work, to hard labor. They're slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, longer than we've been a a nation in existence, the United States. They're in slavery and they're working away and generations are dying and they're being born and they continue in this cycle that seems to have no end until God sends a a young boy named Moses who he's going to grow up in the palace of of Pharaoh and under his nose is going to raise up to be this insurrectionist who's going to lead God's people out of bondage. Those 400 years were not easy years. They were years of hard slavery. They were, they were years where they waited on God, probably wondering if God was doing anything or hearing their prayers at all. And God used this man named Moses. But even Moses had his periods of waiting. If you look at the story, Moses was 40 years old when he moved to Midian after he'd killed an Egyptian in a series of events in Egypt. And so he moves out to Midian. He becomes this kind of nameless sheep herder and 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 and. For 40 years, he waits there, kind of thinking this is probably the way his life would end up. But at 80 years old, Moses has this encounter with this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up, and, and God's voice speaks out of this bush. I know a lot of us in our waiting, we would love to have an encounter like that, right? God, if you would just show up and make it clear to me, I would, I would, I would obey whatever your will is. It doesn't seem to be that easy in our lives, but it wasn't easy the voice that was, came out of this bush for Moses. And so the voice comes out of this bush, and, and God actually talks to Moses and promises him some, some, some things that I want to read to you. This is the promise that God makes. This is Exodus 3, verse 7 and 8. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, 
and Jebusites. You see, God finally hears the cry of his people and he, he acts and responds to say, look, I'm going to take you to a, a new land. It's going to be a better land flowing with milk and with honey. Maybe for once the future will be bright for Moses and for the people of God. So Moses trusted God. He challenges Pharaoh. The plagues come and he delivers them through the Red Sea. And they enter into the wilderness thinking they're on their way to the promised land. But the sin of the people of God leads to more waiting. So they kind of circle the wilderness for another 40 years. 80 to 120, Moses is out there dealing with the sin that his people have committed. And so they circle and they circle. And when it comes to the end of Moses' life, it's a pretty devastating word that he receives from the Lord. As I'm thinking about the legacy I want to live, I, he was promised the promised land, right? But listen to how this ends up. This is Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 5. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I've let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. So for 40 years, Moses has been leading his people on on these circles in the wilderness because of their sin, and then comes this heartbreaking reality at the end of Moses' story. You're not going to get to enter in, Moses. And even a harder thing, you're going to get to see it. You're going to get to see the land I've promised, but you're not going to get to step foot in. That milk and that honey will not be consumed by you. Moses waited all of his life and never received the thing that he desired most. Here's the reality, the hard reality for many of us in the room this morning. Some of you are waiting right now. You're waiting on some really big things or hard things. And the hard truth is not all of us are going to receive the things that we long for most. Sometimes the healing doesn't come. Sometimes the dream doesn't materialize. Sometimes you do all the work and someone else gets all the credit. Sometimes you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait only to see the promised land and not to get to enter in yourself. Sometimes God says no. And it happened to Moses. And some churches and preachers will lie to you about this. They'll say, God is always for your health and for your wealth, and He'll protect you if you have this amount of faith. And this is, but the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, Jesus says. Hard things come upon all of us. And and while we wish that God would fix everything for us, we find all too often in our lives the reality that sometimes God answers in ways we wish He wouldn't. But this morning, if you find yourself in one of those places where it's becoming increasingly likely that that prayer may not be answered, I don't want you to leave hopeless today. I want to provide hope to you. I think there's room for it. Which brings me to that verse my mom should have never prayed over me. When I was graduating high school, I was about to go off to college and all of the parents in the youth group were encouraged to pick a verse that they would pray over their kids as they left to go to do their life's work or to go educate themselves. And the prayer she prayed over me was Jeremiah 29 11. Probably some of you have prayed this over your kids as well. And it was the wrong prayer to pray. Let me read this, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, it sounds like a nice verse, doesn't it? It sounds like the kind of verse you should pray over your children until you start to read the context around the verse. That's the troublesome part of Scripture, right? Sometimes we yank it out and it's beautiful until you realize what's around it. You see, this letter in Jeremiah 29 was a letter written by Jeremiah to the exiles who'd been taken from their homeland. It was kind of like a 9-11 experience for the people of Israel. Before all this, uh, it, you know, the, the Babylonians come in, they destroy Jerusalem, they take off the people who are the people of God to exile. It's their punishment for the sin of idolatry and for the sin of turning their hearts away from God. And there are these false prophets who were there prior to Jeremiah 29 who were speaking to those exiles. They're saying, don't worry, there's good news ahead. It'll only be a couple of years and you'll get to go back to your homeland. But when we read the rest of Jeremiah 29, we realize that the reality is different than the false prophets have said. In fact, I want to pick up and read the context from Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. This is the letter that goes to those exiles from Jeremiah from the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, uh, you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Hear the message in context? He's saying to these people, yes, you're going to have a hope and you're going to have a future, but not in your lifetime. Seventy years is far longer than the age expectancy in this time in this age he's talking about their grandkids he's saying the people of israel have a hope have a future god is going to prosper you but to those who receive this news who've been hearing from these false prophets this is the worst news possible i guess it's not going to be true for us i guess the prayer is not going to be answered i guess god's not going to show up on the timetable we had wanted i don't know that i would like this message if i received and that's why i wish my mom hadn't prayed it over me Sometimes we don't read the context. We're the ones who want to receive blessing ourselves, don't we? I don't want to be like Moses on Mount Nebo who looks over into the promised land but doesn't get to step foot in it myself because I've grown up in an individualistic culture. My generation's the instant gratification culture. And when you see this text through the frame of the individualism of our age, this is devastating news. But if you have eyes to see the larger picture, 
You step back a little bit from your own life to see what can be built in generations. All of a sudden, this is one of the most hopeful texts for Israel. It means that God's punishment will not go on forever. That my grandkids will eventually get to live back in Jerusalem. And if I can enlarge my vision in that way, then all of a sudden what becomes devastating news in this moment becomes some of the best news for Israel. Jeremiah tells them it's going to be 70 years before you leave Babylon, but he also gives them a message about how they are to live in the midst of the waiting for those years before their grandkids get to go back. And if you're in one of those situations right now where the waiting is just extended on and on, I think this is helpful instruction as you wait in that season. This is also relevant if you happen to be one of those that's fearful for the future of the place in which we live. Fearful of the world your kids might inhabit. I think this is a message of good news. Jeremiah tells them, you don't just sit still. You don't just sulk. No, no. You build houses. You plant crops. You raise and keep having children of your own. And you marry them off so that they can have sons and daughters. Because if you don't do that, there won't be a generation that gets to go back to the land. You pray for the city you're a part of. You, you seek God's best for it, for it's prospering. Because if it prospers, you prosper as well. He's saying even if things don't look good for you personally, even if your years are short, even if your health prognosis is not good, plant crops so that the next generation will have food to eat from. Build houses. Even if you don't get to live in those houses, your grandkids will. There's an old Greek proverb I came across this week that I think is fitting for, for this story. It says, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. I love that. The measure of a person's life is not just the wealth that we're able to create or the structures that we build or the names that go on buildings uh, that are left after us. No, the measure of a person's life is the fruit that grows on trees that you'll never consume yourself your kids will get to experience and enjoy. Because the truth is, we warm ourselves by fires that we did not start. We're eating fruit from trees that we did not plant. I came here two and a half years ago, and I've heard lots of stories about the history of this church, but I will never know all of the stories and the sacrifices that were done in the early years of the Allen Church of Christ getting started. I know some of the faces because they're still around. I know some of the stories. But I'll never know all the sacrifices, all the seeds that were planted, all the fires that were begun that leads us to where we are today. And the reality is, in the years ahead, there will be thousands and thousands of Christians because of Caleb and others who've chosen to take on Jesus in baptism. And we've planted seeds for them. And years from now, there are going to be people who walk through these doors who've been touched by our kids as they go out throughout the world, who will never know your name. They'll never know the commitment and the sacrifice you've given. They'll never know any of that, but what matters is the story gets passed on and the tree provides shade and the house is built for them to settle in. We benefit from those who come before us in church. It's our time for this generation to plant seeds for the generations that will come as well because we're a part of a story that's so much larger than us. The story was bigger than Noah. The story was bigger than Joseph. The story was bigger than Abraham. 
The story was bigger than Esther and Deborah. The story was bigger than Paul and Peter. The story was bigger than St. Augustine and St. Francis. The story is bigger than you. The story is bigger than me. And I want to plant trees in my lifetime that I'll never benefit from, but my kids and my grandkids and those that come after will benefit from. What about you? In the midst of your waiting right now, I wonder how this text, Jeremiah 29, may not be the best news for those of us who sit in the room, but it may be the best news possible for the generation that will come after us if we have eyes to see. So church, I want to encourage us to do this. I want to encourage us to sow things that we will never reap. I want to encourage you to make sacrifices Not in a way that you'll ever get credit, but those who come after you will see the impact and will be blessed and benefited from it. Because you've all been benefits of received benefit from those who come before, who've planted seeds before, and it's your job in this generation to do the same thing. Hebrews eleven is one of those passages that's known as the Hall of Faith. It's a story about all those who've lived by faith in the past and the faith that they passed on and And over and over again, there's this refrain in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abel did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, on and on the story goes, Joseph and Moses. But at the end of Hebrews, after all of these stories have been told, and even those that can't be told, Hebrews says, there's this verse that's one of my favorite places in all Scripture. I've shared it before. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, and maybe... If you're in waiting right now, this is a verse of good news. I'll come back to this actually next week in our Christmas service. These were all commended for their faith. These being Moses and Abel and Noah and Esther and all those people in the past that were mentioned. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them, none of those heroes of faith that we've talked about, that we've preached about, that we've taught our kids about, none of them received what had been promised. In other words, every single one of these people died waiting. Waiting on the Messiah that was promised to come into the world and offer a hope they couldn't on their own. So for any of us who are in waiting, this is not a new thing. It's the thing we all do is we wait on what God is going to do. And I don't want to at all say in any way that your waiting doesn't matter. This means that your waiting matters more than ever. Because the stories that were told about Abraham and Noah and their faithfulness are stories that will be told in the future about you and your faithfulness. How might you shape and change your generational cycle? That you grew up in that dysfunctional family and now you've got an opportunity to plant a seed so that people tell the story about when it changed. It was because you planted that tree. It's because you built that house and God allowed it to grow. Each of these people in Hebrews 11 died without experiencing the Messiah in their presence. They left the earth without, with, with, waiting with anticipation about a promise. And we stand in the shade of the trees they planted. We get the benefit of their faith. And you have the same opportunity. The healing may not come in your story. The dream may never materialize. But all earthly healing in our lives is only temporary. Even Lazarus ended up back in a tomb. But while you wait, let me encourage you with a blessing that can be trusted. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I know the plans I have for you is not a singular in this passage. It's plural. God spoke this to the exiles. He spoke this to the grandkids. He spoke these to the great, 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 great grandchildren. We are here. And the the fact that we are here is the proof that God has kept his promise. Because one day they were going to get to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls with Nehemiah. And one day they were going to get, get to welcome this child into the world named Jesus. And, and one day after that, the Gentiles, all of us, we were going to get welcomed into this story. The fact that we meet today and over 2 billion people around the world claim Jesus is Lord is the proof that God's promise has been kept. And so, yeah, it's a great verse, Jeremiah 29.11. And if you're in waiting, it's a particularly good verse, but not for the reasons we always thought. Because God was moving his whole people, not just us as individuals. And sometimes God says no to us, but in the no, he's saying yes to people in the future. So as we close today, I want you to think, I want to pray this blessing over you. What are the trees that you need to plant in this season? What are the the houses that you need to create plans for and begin begin to set up the foundation and build? What's the story in your family that needs to be changed for this next generation How can God's plans for a hope and a future be born through you so that others will benefit from something they never planned? To me, this is hopeful no matter the situation we're waiting in. May God use this word to to plant seeds that others will benefit from. Because this passage isn't about us, it's about those who will come in the days ahead. And praise God for those children and those grandchildren, for those people we'll never meet down the road who will know Jesus because of the seeds we planted. Let's close uh, with a word of prayer this morning. Father, I don't think this name, Greenville Oaks, is incidental to a message like this because it's a reminder, God, that trees cannot grow without being planted. And God, there's this natural way you work in the world where trees come forth because of sun and, and rain. But God, you ask us and invite us into that process. And so God, in the midst of maybe the exile that some of us feel right now, perhaps some of us feel like outsider in the midst of a country that seems to be turning. Perhaps some of us feel like outsiders even within our own church family. Perhaps some of us feel that within our family of origin because we've chosen uh, to live a life of discipleship to you. Whatever the situation may be of waiting, God, I pray that you would confirm to each and every one of us what you're doing for the sake of the future, for, for what 70 years from now will look like because of the seeds and the houses that we build today. God, we pray for, for the peace and prosperity of our city, and for our, our nation, for, for this entire world. God, we pray that would happen so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I thank you for each situation of waiting. It is difficult, it's not easy, and it's hard to even say those words, but we trust you again with our situations, God. And in some ways, you want to mold us through it like Joseph, and God, mold us, change us through these experiences. We don't want to waste that waiting. And God, for others of us who need to pick up hammer and nails and get to work on our boat, God, would you, would you point us in the right direction to step one so we know exactly what we need to do tomorrow? God, for those of us we're wondering if our waiting will ever come through in the ways that we desire it will. God, we, we bend our knee once more to you as difficult as it is, and we pray, God, may your will be done. 
And we trust that the reconciliation of all things is, is going to happen, God. That you're gonna, there's nothing inside your creation that won't be redeemed and restored, God. All things. Pray that for our lives, for our families, over our city, over this church. God, may we be the planters of seeds that others benefit from. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.